Welcome back to another episode of T-10. I'm your host, Tim Fitzpatrick, and this is the show about the future of education in healthcare. Today was a good episode. I talked to Mark Layton, uh, who is a good friend, someone I've known for a couple of years now, have learned a ton from, and uh, I just want to give a quick idea of who he is, the bio behind the man. But Mark is a proven product and healthcare executive with a diverse background in strategy and growth, global product management software and devices mostly, uh, healthcare startups, management consulting, and digital transformation across healthcare. He's currently a senior vice president and head of product at Florence Healthcare, where they have a vision of doubling the number of medicines that get to market by the end of the decade. Previously, he was a strategy partner at Cleveland Clinic during the pandemic, where he led enterprise initiatives, including care model innovation and telehealth he even served as Icona's industry mentor during the National i program for our Phase One NSF research, and he currently serves on Icona's scientific advisory board. Uh, it's a fantastic conversation. He dives into clinical trials, uh, the importance of designing solutions that work for patients and all end users, uh, and I think you'll learn a lot. So please enjoy my conversation with Mark Layton. Mark, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Hey, Tim. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, my, absolutely my pleasure. So I'm, I'm, I've been looking forward to this for a while to have you on. And uh, just a little bit of framing for folks who don't know you. You have been in a number of leadership roles across massive organizations, uh, building big businesses, usually in product management leadership roles. Now you're at a fast-growing startup. You're different stage, but you've tackled a number of healthcare problems. Um, like I said, usually product side, but also education focus. So uh, please, if you would, kind of give us a sense of what you're working on now and where education ties into your work. Yeah, thanks, th thanks Tim, for that tee up. Um, a lot of what I'm doing now is a, a, wearing a couple of hats or things that are, I'm burning calories on. It's, it's really scaling up the business and the product development team, um, but embedded in that is building into the way that we do product and design solutions, um, we launched a new part of our portfolio that the, for the first time that touches the patient. It's a patient and clinical trials referred to as the participant most of the time. And they're actually the end user, which is was new for us. We were, we were sort of B2B and this is our first jump into B2C in a way. And uh, tying it back to education being able to make sure that the user experience, the design, um, the empathy that you show even in the software and how you maneuver through that and how it drives the workflow was so important. Where it wasn't as important at, at the user level at a clinic or at a sponsor, but now that the participation, the participant or the patients at the end of that, the stakes are higher. And, and so in my career, you know, the bigger umbrella has always been, look, a, a more informed patient usually has a strong correlation to better patient outcomes and better adherence to what the clinical team or the care team is trying to drive them to. Um, and I'm, I've seen that everywhere. I saw it at the Cleveland Clinic. I've seen that in my days at GE. Uh, and then I'm seeing that in a completely different vertical and a completely different, you know, startup space where that's always top of mind is, is sort of a patient, patient centricity is, is one of those common threads that I've seen throughout my career. Yeah, so this, I appreciate that perspective because I know having led strategic initiatives 
during the pandemic, right? So telehealth, all of a sudden, how do we reach these people without having access to potentially to reducing likelihood of contracting COVID and growing these massive virtual models? Um, product side, software building is not a perspective we've had on here on the show. So for that reason, I think it'd be great to have you kind of talk about what are those considerations if you're an operations leader or a clinician on the front line using this, these pieces of software, uh, what are ways for, for you to kind of leverage almost the silver lining of people getting more comfortable with tech, be it patients, be it clinicians, and then in the ways that you actually build solutions to address these, these new needs that seem to be evolving every single week and month? Yeah, no, it, it's right. And it's sort of, you you look at it from both ends. I'll start with the the user at, let's say, the clinic or at the hospital. And the technology that they're using that's your technology, it has to be intuitive and it has to drive strong usability because the oftentimes it's the patient or it's the patient loved one that are in front of them while they're using it, depending on the workflow it's driving. And so if they're if it's clunky or there's a lack of intuitive, that 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 kind of uh, you can sense that as a patient, and so especially in the clinical trials world, right, or in a lot of healthcare settings that are you know um, depending on the degree um, of severity of, of why the patient is in the room, they're on edge. It's a stressful situation. They got a thousand things going through their head, and one thing you don't want to do is based on the software that the clinician's using or whoever uh, on that team is working with the patient, that they're fumbling around with it or it's, you know, as they're driving through a workflow in the consenting process, for example, if it's not clear and delivered confidently, then that just plants a seed with the patient. Like, oh my God, now this is the thousand and one thing I got to worry about. And on the patient side, it really is about um, intuitiveness, doing doing user research, because something that matters to a patient is different than matters to maybe the healthcare worker that's using it. A healthcare worker, it is about intuitiveness, efficiency, uh, being able to easily train staff because the, you know it's wrought with high turnover. To a patient, not a lot of that matters. Is it easy to understand? Is it not overwhelming? Are you using soft design, soft workflows? Um, so I think you got to look at it from both perspectives when you're designing solutions there's always a way there's always a temptation to reach for okay what are what are our b2b customers telling us what's the what's the investigator what's the coordinator at the hospital telling us they need a lot of time it's it's needing to drive workflow and efficiency and the feature functionalities you build into that should be prioritized highly but if you just did that and you didn't balance it out with okay well what's What's some of those softer considerations around UX, usability, what a patient sees, can they interpret it? Um, then you're gonna miss the mark and actually put that person who's working with the patient, set them up to fail um, because they're meant to learn the software to do their job, but they're not necessarily the best teacher of the software to the patient. It's gotta be intuitive for both. Yeah, this is, I'm really glad you brought this particular point up because one of the things that fascinates me and I appreciate about product-minded people or people who are building software solutions like yourself, because that's not my background, I'm not technical, but I have had to learn, and I know you've been part of a lot of these conversations, but understanding who the end users are versus the stakeholders, who's actually going to be touching 
this solution because that matters. And, and so many times I meet, say, a nephrologist or people who are used to using software and they have these expectations and it can be such a challenge to deliver a 10x improved experience and also the outcome side. Those are two very different asks and bars to have to overcome or to meet as as a company trying to deliver these solutions. And each one of them requires, as you know, hundreds or thousands of touch points with potential end users. So it's just a fascinating world when people talk about the clunkiness of, say, uh, an EHR, right? That they don't, they can't imagine how it's used everywhere and how it's the safe solution when it ha when it doesn't even stack up remotely against this other newer tool. Well, it, it's because so much of this other stuff does matter. So, um, I love that point that you're that you're making. And if if I could, I, I'm curious. We've only talked about clinical trials as kind of a subset once on this show with with Henry Peck and his episode in precision neurology. If you wouldn't mind, can you can you kind of give us a sense of how that process works? Because I know research within kidney care is vast, but it's not something that people often talk enough about, even though patient communities are frequently talking about it, right? We, we see a lot of questions. We see people interacting with, how do I get involved? Um, how does the company, what, what role do you play in kind of lay out that ecosystem for us? Yeah, great question. And for context, you know, we're we're sort of at Florence Healthcare. We're sort of at the the middle of that ecosystem where we have clinical clinical trial sites. So just think of those as the hospital. It's the Cleveland clinics. It's the Emory's. There's more nuance to it. They have cancer centers. They have academic medical centers. But just think of, uh, for simplicity's sake, a clinical trial site is a hospital. It is a clinic where people go to receive care but it's the same patients that enroll in clinical trials. And that's where they have to go when they're enrolled in a trial to check in with their investigator. Then you have the sponsors or CROs, which are contract research organizations, which is contracted out from a sponsor. They have a therapy, they have a drug that uh, they need to enroll participants in the clinical trial prior to submitting to the FDA. And so what we have in our ecosystem, so I'll tee up a little bit of our products and then I'll jump in a little bit more. Uh, we have the regulatory binder, so at, at the clinical trial site, which is a piece of software that drives a lot of workflows. And we capture the, uh, the regulatory outcomes happening in that trial that are used for FDA submission. On the sponsor side, we allow the sponsor in our model to deploy our point solutions at the site. So think of this as a, you deploy a Florence Healthcare, it's a ready-made uh, network to all the clinical trial sites. So if they have a study for a cancer drug, they deploy Florence software. And so now they've built this ready-made network where every single trial site is using the same uniform piece of software. And so then we provide remote access into that. And COVID really sparked this for us. And it, it sort of changed the industry, which I'll come back to in a moment. It used to be, if you worked for a sponsor and you had, you were running clinical trials across the country or across the world, you'd hop on airplanes, stay in hotels, and you'd go, you'd go to these clinical trial sites. You'd look through paper binders on what's going on, and you'd be able to capture maybe two or three sites a week if you were good. Um, COVID had such a paradigm shift to the industry. Now it's remote access into those digital binders. And so that's the, we're sort of a double-sided marketplace and we play right at the center of that ecosystem. Yeah, but but I think where it, this is, in, in all my years of healthcare, 
I would say the clinical trial space has been the biggest laggard of technology adoption and still to this day is embarrassingly reliant on paper. And so up until about six or seven years ago, they didn't really start that transformation into the digital world and digital workflows. And so kind of linking this back to usability, um, having confidence in the tools that they're investing in, and then having confidence so that the patient has comfort. Um, we still got a long way to go. And it's, it's, not, it's not that dissimilar, I think, to what's happening in kidney care, right? It's, this is the first time where that's becoming more remote uh, education and delivering um, sort of a runway to make that experience better in a digital way uh, that needs to be adopted and from that will spring new workflows and new opportunities and so we're right in that space right now where we're we're keeping our eyes and ears open of what what's important because the level of expectation like we went from it's a paper and a room full of binders and so we digitized that we were one of the founding companies that do that. But now everyone's catching up, the space is getting crowded, and it's like the level expectation is growing. So it's like, okay, you changed the world from a paper binder to a digital binder. Thank you, that's the best thing since sliced bread. But now we've been at it two or three years. So what, now our expectation level is growing to like EMRs, PACs, RISs, more established technologies in healthcare. And so linking it back to patient centricity and and the end user you got to design for the end user even though they might not be the buyer and and when you build product and run product teams that's where you got to really make that investment in design and ux so i don't know if that answered your question that was a little bit of a tangent but uh, i wanted to try to link it back <laughs> you covered the question and more but you actually led me to another question which is okay so two to three years you've been building this I'm sure you're getting questions or people, more and more companies are starting to see this is digital is the future and we need to be building this. And fortunately, I'm sure it's opening all kinds of doors. I'm curious. I love to ask the question of opti what, what has you optimistic about your space in particular. But of course, it could, this could be any any kind of aspect of health tech, especially you who's who has seen so many angles here. Part of this question, though, nested in here is what does the next two to three years in clinical trials look like as let's just say will patients have more access as a result of digitization like wh where are the parts of the unknown untalked about opportunities following the digitization here if you're if you're thinking about that piece great question you know i, I think history will hopefully repeat itself and this is what i mean i think the patient will move more towards the center we saw we We've seen this, and we're seeing this now, I think, between healthcare providers and healthcare payers, where now they're both, it's sort of like cats and dogs, and now they're aligned to make sure that the patient, um, it's not transactionally more between payers and providers, and the patient truly is at the center. And it's empowering the patient to take more control of their healthcare if that's what they're you know able to do and competent enough to do, but at the same time, it's build kind of an ecosystem around those patients if they are in more need or if they have, um, you know, diseases that they need managed. And so I think in clinical trials, so, so I think we have history repeating ourselves because in clinical trials, what gets me excited as just like payer and provider used to be a combative relationship, and I'm sure it still is in some instances, but I think sponsor and clinical trial site 
they are starting to find common ground around the patient and the participant. And mm -hmm. if they're more aligned and the technology is more integrated, then a day, a week, a month of being able to submit that therapy to the FDA for approval is exactly a day, a week, a month that that therapy gets in the hands of someone that needs it. And it can't be done without cats and dogs agreeing on things. And I think we've seen this before in healthcare and in clinical trials. I really do think, uh, and we have, we have a unique position because we're at the center of that ecosystem. We're starting to see that collaboration. It's not perfect, but that's what gets me really excited about, um, about clinical trials. And, and the quick point you mentioned around access, you mentioned earlier around access, you know, the diversity in clinical trials is not great. Um, it does not reflect the population. And so then the downfall of that is the therapies that are being um, tested in clinical trials, you know, around race, around socioeconomic status, that's not necessarily, those outcomes getting approved don't match the patient populations and the population demographic, demographics of the U.S. So getting minorities more tapped in, Getting, giving minorities and people from lower socioeconomic classes more access to clinical trials makes the therapies better and stronger. And of course you drive better health outcomes, you know, for the country, for the world. So those are two like things that just get me really jazzed. Um, and they're slow to take, but even incremental movement on either of those fronts makes real impact to the, to the healthcare and real impact to patients and their loved ones. I, I love that. And I also think that your, your role as the facilitator in that equation in the ecosystem has to be playing a significant role. And it just sounds like such a, a promising opportunity, right? To, to actually be a part of why that uh, parity is, is once again a possibility. So it's just, it has to be an exciting mission to be on. So I, I commend you and I'm excited to watch your your team keep building and growing. Uh, Mark, I, before we wrap up, I always like to find out how people can get a hold of you uh, and learn more about everything you're building, but what's the best, best place to reach you after this chat? You know what, reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'll always love to hear for the fellow product leaders or people that are um, thinking about, hey, let me go work for a startup or I've been in the startup smaller company space, let me go work for a large established company. I've been in both, um, but reach out to me via LinkedIn. You know, there's a lot of lessons learned when you're when you're scaling and building a team and an organization. Um, and then also when there's a lot of distractions out there, you know, what do you focus on? Because if you juggle too many balls in the air, um, then nothing's gonna get done well. So reach out to me on LinkedIn, would love to, would love to connect to your audience uh, so thanks, Tim, for the opportunity. Absolutely, Mark. It was a pleasure having you on. Appreciate you coming on the show. No, I love it. I love the work that you're doing, and um, I appreciate being able to share my story and what we're working on at Florence.